0: I'm here with Shaquanda Cotton, who in 2006 was sentenced to up to seven years confinement at a Texas juvenile detention facility as a black teen following accusations that she pushed a white teachers aid. Uh, she recently released her new book, Memoir of a Teacher Slapping Bitch. I am Shaquanda Cotton. How are you doing today, Shaquanda? I'm fine. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. You know, uh, let's let's go back, like, you know, to the beginning, like, you know, uh, how old were you when you moved to Paris, Texas?
1: Um, I was eight years old when we first moved in.
0: And um, when you moved to uh, Paris, Texas, like, you know, uh, did you notice, like, you know, and stuff or everything that it was a different environment than where you lived, lived previously?
1: not right off, not as a kid. I didn't pick up on many things besides, you know, just kid things. But other than that, I didn't really pick up on anything just too early off. I didn't Well, I, maybe I should say my mom picked up on things that I didn't as a kid.
0: Right. Right. And, um, you know, uh, at 14 years old, you start going to Paris high school and, um, you know, uh, like, I guess like, you know, before that, like your mom, before the incident happened, like, you know, with the the teacher's aid, like your mom and they like, you know, a couple complaints about like racial discrimination and like, um, you know, Paris high school, they had a number of complaints already. Like, you know, I mean for racial discrimination about like the black students being like, you know, cited more for disciplinary problems. Was that something you noticed?
1: Yes. Um, and that's what played a major part of the retaliation that I received with my case. And that's because of the activist work that her and my um Brenda Cherry has done. And that started early on when I was quite young, maybe ten, nine, something like that.
0: Definitely. And um can you talk a little bit about, like, you know, the situation that happened, like, you know, with the hall monitor, you know, because, like, I guess, like, there's a lot of discrepancies, like, on the Internet, like, when you read, like, you know, um, as far as, like, what actually occurred.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Well, on that morning, I went in to try to take my medication, as I normally do every morning. After I eat, I go and take my medication before the school starts. So this particular morning, um, the hall monitor was at the door, and I went to the door to try to go in, make entry to go and get my medicine, and she started yelling at me, telling me that I couldn't come in and to get out of the building, and so I turned, and it was me and my friend, and I think it was one more person with me, but um, we turned and we walked out, but... As I was walking off, I noticed there was a group of white girls coming up and they were going to the door, too. So I just kind of stood back to watch to see if she was going to let them go in and she let them enter the building. So I went back to ask her why would she let them in and she wouldn't let me in to go and take my medicine. And that's when she started screaming and yelling and she started pushing me backwards on to the people that were behind me. And then by the time she got to the third push, I just kind of did my hands like this and she pushed off of my hands, but she never fell or I never even, you know, extended my hands out. My arms were still up like this. And so she pushed me onto someone that was behind me. And so at that time, I can't remember what all was being said, but there was a teacher, a male teacher, that his classroom was not directly by the door, but it was a little bit from the door. And so he came out, and he was going to, I guess, play a part in helping her to get me out of the door. And so what he did is he started pushing me with his chest and. He pushed me into the metal door, and I had a pencil in my hand that had stuck into it, and then I had a contusion on my head from where he I had hit the door and so after that, everybody's yelling telling me to go to the the office and I ended up going to the office, and they just put me in the um principal's room, and I stayed there for probably hours. They wouldn't let me call my mom. Um, I don't think I even got to take my medication that morning at all. I was just kind of sitting there pretty much waiting for them to decide what they were going to do. And um, it was, it was, Yeah. And then, uh, I'm sorry if I, I forget stuff sometimes, but, um, and I'm a little nervous, but, um, that's what led to the arrest that day.
0: Definitely. And you, you were arrested that that same day. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, do you like make, make bail or like go home and stuff or anything? Because I know like, there's like, you know, uh, a trial, obviously.
1: Yeah, um, they had took me and booked me in at um, the Paris Police Department, and I believe they were waiting, they were trying to transfer me to um, the detention center then, but the, um, I believe it was the probation officer at the time, she requested that I be released to my mom's care, and so that's how I ended up going home with her until my trial.
0: And um, you know, uh now did they offer you a plea agreement like you know because like I've read online and stuff everything where it says you weren't offered a plea agreement and then there was like, you know, different articles where it says like your mom rejected the plea agreement.
1: No, there was never a plea agreement that was offered to
0: me. And stuff and everything. And you, uh, like, you know, so I guess like you, you ended up taking this, this case, to trial. And like, even though there were like multiple people and stuff and everything, they said that, um, the aid, like, you know, pushed you first, you lose a trial. Mm-hmm. Were uh, what was, what was your feelings? Like, you know, I mean, and stuff and everything. like, you know, like losing a trial, like, you know what I mean? And stuff like not knowing, like you know, not I mean and stuff like when you would get out of prison. You know, because it possibly could be seven years.
1: Um, I think at the time that everything was going on, uh, I was still a kid. So I wasn't thinking along the terms of, you know, the previous stuff that had been going on in the school. I thought that was something totally different than it would be if we were to go into a courthouse in front of a judge. I just... I guess I felt at the time that they had to tell the truth because that's what they say that's any anytime else I've seen anything about Corey, you're sworn in to tell the truth. So that's what I thought would happen, but it didn't. It went a totally opposite direction and nobody, none of the adults told the truth. They were after matter of fact, after my sentencing, they um stood up and high fived each other and They were clapping, and it was just, it was tough. And then um, that was another thing that I wanted to mention, too, about um, the um, principal of Paris High on that morning. He did tell my mom that he wanted to personally see me prosecuted, but it wasn't for anything that I had done. This was all, I guess I could say, measures that they took to get back at my mom for the things that she was doing in the community and at the schools and with Brenda.
0: Right because like I guess like your mom had like led a protest march in front of the school and like um like after that like you started receiving like disciplinary citations for like you know frivolous things you know, like, one of them was, like, because, uh, like, I guess your skirt was an uh, inch too short. And then one was because you poured too much paint in a cup during an art class. And then, like, defacing the desk at the school, but the desk didn't have any damage to it.
1: Yeah. And then they uh, said that I stole a purse that I didn't steal. And they, there's several uh, write-ups. In the, and a lot of those were challenged. and. It still didn't change anything, but those are what they used for criminal, for a criminal background for me at trial.
0: Right. And um, one of the the main, like, you know, I think like criticisms was of the judge, particularly in your case, was that at the same time, it was a girl who was, uh you know, arrested for arson around the same age of you. And she was given probation. Yeah. Right. Were you aware of that? Like, you know what I mean? And stuff at the time, like, you know, and stuff, everything like, you know, she's charged with arson and then she, she gets probation. Yeah. And so like you end up at uh, the youth prison in Brownwood. What was, what was the experience in Brownwood? Like,
1: uh, I, I don't really remember a lot. Um, I was on different medications when I was in prison that they had put me on and that, that medicine, some of it, um, um, affected my memory. So, uh, I just, the one thing that sticks out that always has stuck out that I can remember about being there is, um, the girl that I bunked with, um, She was actually in for, um, she was in for murder. And I think she was around my age, or she may have been a little younger than me. Um, But I remember, that's something that I remember from there. I remember eating rice and peanut butter every day, Um, having to get up early and go outside and exercise. I remember... Um. Uh, oh and then uh I'm sorry I had my uh stay extended a couple times um I think one time was for having an extra pair of socks that the guard had given me and then one time was for um an extra cook that they had given me to take my medicine with and then I think another time I had a pen that the guard had let me
0: use that I had gotten in trouble for. Yeah, that's egregious, you know, that you would have to, like, you know, stay longer for such, like, petty offenses. Um, you know, like, Brownwood, like, one of the things that was going on, it was a state scandal involving a guard who, like, allegedly sexually abused, like, you know, teenage inmates. Like, going back to, like, the girl who um, took probation for arson, she was later like, you know, uh, like revoked on her probation and she went to Brownwood and she was sexually abused by that same guard. Did you have any interaction with this guard who was sexually abusing women? Um, I can't
1: recall off the top of my head who it was, but um, you said that. Um, I'm not sure about that one, but I, I do, I had, um, I had a weird situation with one of the guards up there where he would, um, that's where the pen came from. Um, he would give me pens to write. Um, he let me out like to help go get the stuff ready for showers or help pass out um, snacks or just different things, but it just, he made me uncomfortable because I could tell that it was like, flirt. he was flirting, but at the time, I really didn't care because I didn't like being locked in a room, so I kind of, I flirted with him so that he would let me out, but he never sexually to me um he kind of brushed up on over me one day when we were coming out of the linen closet but the way I reacted I feel like kind of let him know that I wasn't gonna be for none you know I wasn't gonna do anything else besides smile so I could come out of my room I was a kid so I was doing what I thought works so it would keep me out of trouble and and make the guards be nice to me.
0: Definitely. Uh, Was it, like, you know, like, you know, uh, I've read, like, you know, where you say you felt paranoid sometimes, you know, being around, like, you know, these girls, some of them who are hardened criminals, and, like, at, like, some point, like, you actually, like, started, like, you know, uh, cutting yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, I think, um, the – the self-injury and and things like that, I feel like they came more from the medication that they had me on. That it started making me hallucinate. I would hear things and um I would scratch all my skin off my face or scratch up my arms. Um I tried committing suicide uh, once I'm I'm for sure of, um, I think that's what
0: I need. And um, while you're in jail, like, you know, a writer, I think at the Chicago Tribune publishes an article and like, you know, a huge, like, you know, community, like, you know, you know, uh, response to like the egregiousness of you being incarcerated, uh, like, you know, starts to happen, like, you know, Ricky Smiley organizes a protest. Were you like, you know, um, aware of like all this stuff going on? Like, were you hearing about it like from your mom or like how, um, did you know about like, you know, the community support that you had? Um,
1: I had just known a very little, um, of like what my mom would tell me when, I talked to her, but um, one of the guards that actually came and got me out of my um, cell because when the protest was going on with Ricky Smalley and all of that, it was on the news and she seen my name come across there. And so she came to my cell to get me and that's when I first seen the protest
0: and you were eventually released uh like you know what what was like you know what was the feeling like when you when you finally got out uh
1: i can't i can't describe it um i don't know if i would ever be able to put it into words um just imagine a kid not being away from their parent a day in their life and just being ripped apart from your family from the only thing that you know and it's just it's been hard Um, it was scary but i was glad that i was it was over with well what i thought was over with at the time i felt like it was over um I remember when uh, they called me down to the warden's office for a phone call in which um, I really depended a lot on visitation, phone calls, all of that. That's what I depended on to get me through that time. And so when I was called to the um, warden's office, I don't I already thought it was something bad. So tears started and uh, my mom had gotten on the phone and uh, she was telling me to stay calm. And I remember just crying even harder because the last time she had said that is when she came to tell me that my dad had died. And so that's when she told me that, she was still coming to see me the next morning, but when she came that I was coming home with her and I just couldn't believe it definitely I don't and think i, I slept uh, i don't i don't think I slept I don't think i ate I was just ready to go
0: and um, you know like uh, how was it like you know like rehabilitating to like you know not being at the juvenile facility? Like, you know, uh, like, how long did it take for you to, like, regain, like, normalcy in your life?
1: Uh, I don't – I can't say that I ever just have gained normalcy since I've been out. I've just kind of kept going, just keep pushing myself. I never really just took any time to do anything. Thing else because I felt like as long as I was busy or as long as I was thinking about something else then the other stuff would just go away eventually but it doesn't
0: it doesn't like you know what would have been like you know some of the things that you've had to deal with like you know since you, you've been released
1: um, I've had to deal with the newspaper posting uh lies me, lies on social media um threats of me going back to jail seeing that i'm breaking people's arms breaking my mom's arm and beating up police officers it's just hindrance from getting jobs going to school like normal kids. I didn't get to go back and have palm and participate like a normal kid. And it really hurt me because I didn't do anything to these people. And just because they felt like they couldn't do anything to my mom or to Brenda, they felt that it was okay to target their child. That's not right.
0: Right. Um, you know, what uh, made you decide to uh, write the, the memoir? Uh,
1: the reason for my book is first to tell my side of the story because I've pretty much been silent since all of this happened. Like I said, I just, kept going because I was trying to hide what I was really feeling because I wanted to be the strong one. So I feel like now is the time to just take back control of my life and put to rest all the rumors and, and just show people that, um, no matter what you go through in life, um you just have to keep pushing, keep being strong, keep standing up for what you believe in. And I feel like um it it done a lot of harm, but it some good came out of it also. Because my case is what in turn is the reason why they looked into all of those other cases and all of those kids were set free because most of them were went through an injustice system just like I did. But they didn't have the courage to stand up because the whole time that I was incarcerated, I never progressed. And, you know, there's levels that you have to go through in order to even go home. I never progressed because, in order to do that, you have to admit that you committed a crime or you done something wrong. And I just wasn't willing to do that because I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't push this lady down and hurt her. I I would never do that.
0: That's powerful. Uh, Thank you so, yeah. so much, Saquanda. Uh, your story, like, you know what I mean, is very, like, you know, inspirational and, like, you know, all the things that you've gone through. Uh, I think, like, a lot of people will find, like, you know, motivation and stuff to keep going. And, like, you know, especially the, the millions of people who, uh, especially of color, who have been, you know, uh, wrongfully accused by the criminal justice system, you know, overcharged. There's a lot of that still going on. And I think, like, you know, your story is uh, a bright light in, you know, in those, in those situations. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.